0: to life. And now for our speaker.
1: Are you a follower of the one they call the Christ? This was a question that many feared to answer for a long period of our history. You see, you never knew if the person that was asking was a friend or perhaps a foe. Yes. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Oh, good, arrest them was a common thing heard early in the church. You see, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers have been arrested left and right, commonly, all the time. You see, the idea after Jesus had ascended was to stomp out any trace of Jesus now that he's no longer here, no longer physically in person. Now this idea of trying to eliminate this Jesus movement had the full blessing and support and backing of the Sanhedrin. In fact, they even recruited and enlisted one of their own to lead this charge. They brought in a Pharisee named Saul. Now Saul traveled around and he, man, he, did, he was really good at what he did. He dismantled any gatherings that were, that were under the name of Jesus. He actually arrested those who were teaching this so-called gospel of Christ. And he even gave the order of the first official execution we have on record of a follower of Christ being martyred. His reputation really started to grow, this one. It started to grow as a man who really... Hated Jesus. But funny enough, as a man who loves God, oh, he loves God. Everything he did was because of his view of God and his view of the law. He viewed Jesus as an abomination to to the law and an abomination to God Himself. And in his mind, his actions were justified. These were things that he was doing to honor God in the process. And then, wouldn't you know, then, the unexpected happened. The thing that we ride off and push to the side happened. Saul, along with a few of the men from the Sanhedrin, they were traveling to Damascus. You see, there was a new movement coming about there, about this Jesus. So they were going to go and stomp that one out before it got anywhere. So they were on this road. And on the path to Damascus, this bright, shining light came down. And it blinded. they couldn't see past the road where they were heading. And so Saul, obviously knowing that this light was a sign from God, did what exactly he should have. He fell to his knees. He looked at his head and he couldn't see. And without really knowing what it was, he heard a voice coming out from the brightness. And the voice said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this took Saul off guard, of course. After all, he's been faithfully serving his Lord. He's been faithfully serving and carrying out the execution of the religious leaders. Why would he say such a thing? He would know who I am. It better be safe than sorry, I suppose. So let me just ask the question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And to much of Saul's surprise, the voice responded back. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do from there. And then after that, the bright light disappeared. Whew. Gone. And when Saul opened his eyes, you would think he was ready to see, but actually when he opened his eyes, all he could see was total and complete darkness. For he had become blind. He could not could no longer see what was in front of him. And so he cries out to his men that was with him to come here. But the funny thing is, is that, that all of the men that was traveling with him, everybody didn't see any of it. They didn't see the bright lights. They didn't hear the voice from heaven. They didn't hear of this Jesus person. They saw Saul fall to his knees for some reason. And now he's blind. And so they go and they pick him up and they bring him back on into the city, into Damascus. And he just sits there as a Saul, he just waits. And then three days later, still blind, Saul hears another person enter the room that he was staying in. Who, who's there? Speak up. Who, who's in this room? Who's, whose presence is there? And then Saul just felt two hands cover his eyes. Who, who is this? Who is this? And he hears a voice, Salem Brother Saul, Jesus has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when this man moved his hands, scales fell off his eyes to the ground. And Saul opened his eyes and he can see. And so this man took Saul and immediately baptized him in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And says, God has some work for you, my friend. Saul was blind, but now he sees. And it was time for everybody else to start seeing as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go and to dive into your word. That it's written down for us to reflect on and to learn and to to read and reread again. God, we pray today as we dive into Galatians and we look into your scripture, God, make it jump off the page. We want it, Lord. We want, we want to know exactly what it is you want your people to be doing and to know. Father, I pray that any time during this process, if I, if I deliver this in a way that isn't true, that isn't gospel, correct me. Lord, if I, if I deliver it boring, Lord, let your words jump off the page better than any way I can, I can explain or, or tell it. But, Father, I pray now that as your church, as your people, we lean in so that when we walk out of here, we know exactly what your people should be doing. So, God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys still with me out there? Yeah, good. That was a test. All right. You know, I've been all weekend long without my wife. She's been at women's camp. You know, Jeremy's up here saying, pray for her. Pray for me. I mean, she's fine. She's fine. She's at women's camp, having a great time. I'm just having, I got my kids are here. You know? Josh, you still back there, Bunny? Oh, he's gone kids' church. Thank God. I was worried I lost him. All right. Eleanor, I don't know what she's wearing. Any ladies that need help with her hair, I, I welcome it. It's crazy. She comes back in about three hours. And then we're going to eat vegetables. It's exciting. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that we're going to be starting a, a, a new series. We're going to make a shift, if you will. We're going to go from the Gospels, which is what we've been focusing on for really almost the last two months, looking at all of the miracles of Jesus. And we've analyzed those through the book of John, including the death and his resurrection. I'm going to tell you from that series for the last several weeks, there is no way, especially a believer, can look at the word and say he wasn't the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And so now we're going to shift into, well, all right, he's been risen from the dead. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about this information? Now it's one thing to know it, and it's a completely separate thing to live it. Two different things. Now, by the time Galatians, the book of Galatians, was written in here in the New Testament, Jesus has been gone for about 20 years. So, this is not written right at the next day. It's been about 20 years since Jesus has ascended into heaven. The church is well established by this time. The story of Jesus has been in circulation for a little while now. And in fact, many churches have been planted, new churches have been planted, bringing more and more people to the truth and to the gospel. However, what we're witnessing here in Galatians is still a pretty relatively new concept, a new idea. And this idea was the leading and existence of a Gentile church a church that isn't run by jews oh this is interesting in fact in the old church it is quite the topic for debates it was something they spent a lot of time on can this be done is it allowed should it be allowed or not it'd be it'd be like the equivalent i think as i was writing it and studying this it'd be be allowing a protestant to go and be the pope can we do that or, or maybe someone who's not born in the U.S. to go and run for president. Something, there's rules for a reason, right? These things are in place for a reason. And so this is the equivalent to what they're experiencing and seeing is, wait a minute, can there be a church led by Gentiles? Is this something allowed? They have to go and put their noses back into the Torah and say, is, there something, is this a violation or not? And so here we are, the idea of non-Jews leading a church about a faith that comes from the Jews. It doesn't really sit well back home in Jerusalem. What do the Gentiles know about being Jewish? What do they know about our customs? What about our laws and our history? And so we begin to see right here in the early church. We begin now, this early, seeing different groups or denominations are being formed from within the church right here in the first 20 years after Christ is resurrected. Now, they all, these different groups all come together, and they all collectively believe in the resurrection. They all agree on that. We all agree. That's the principal standing of the faith. But where they believe differently is on the law. Now, one group of the believers, they go by Judaizers. That's what their group was called. They were Jewish Christians who believed that the ceremonial practices of the Old Testament were still binding in the New Testament. We believe in Christ, but we still got to do all the law. Got to do all the Old Testament stuff. Can't just write it off. And that's what these guys were preaching and building their churches on. They insisted that Gentile converts abide by certain Old Testament law, especially the law of circumcision. This was a no, uh, there was a no-brainer, they had to do it. There was no question to them. Now, unlike their zealot brothers, the zealot Jews, who believed that Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles should worship separately, totally and completely, even after finding Christ, they had to separate completely. You go over there, I go over here, and we will be happy. The Judaizers agreed that we can be together as long as you follow the Old Testament laws. Does this sound familiar? Does it sound something like, oh, we don't deal with this stuff anymore. Then, and then everything changed. You see, when, it was, when the church was starting to get their legs on them and starting to build and figure out what their identities are, and we like to kind of do things like this, and you like to do things like that, then everything changed. See, word came that a legalistic Jewish Pharisee converted to Christianity. In fact, he claims that he has seen Jesus. The word on the street was that his interaction with Jesus left him blind for three days. He went from preaching death to Christians to preaching resurrection to the lost. He started going by a different name even. Maybe it was a symbol that he's a new creation or simply because his old name was too tarnished. I'm let him in the front door. But either way, he started going by Paul. And it's been noticed that Paul has been mainly focusing on the Gentiles. Hmm. He goes around telling people that the death of Jesus wasn't only for the salvation of the Jews, but it was for the entire world, for anyone who's willing to believe. Paul wanted the world to know that freedom and grace has been given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. However, not everyone Oh, not everyone was excited about the way Paul was going about it. He caused quite the stir. It seemed, from a distance, from his Jewish brothers and Pharisees alike, that Paul was neglecting his Jewish roots, and he was—he was just allowing anybody to come to the faith. He was just allowing them all to come in. This was something. What about our tradition? What about our customs? What about the law? What about our identity they're worried about? There was even a movement from within the church to discredit Paul that lasted for a while, actually. They were trying to prove that he was not an authentic apostle. That it was all a lie. He was accused of watering down the message to make it more appealing to the Gentiles. So what was at the core of Paul's message? Why is he so controversial? What was he saying that really got everybody stirred up? What caused the debate? What caused the division? And it really came down to one simple word. One word. It's a word that's found all over the entire book of Galatians. Grace. Grace. This was the common message he delivered to every new church he planted. Grace, my brothers. Jesus would want people like us. Yes, he does. He does want people like you. Well, he wouldn't have died for us. We aren't like you. But he did, he died just for you. Well, I don't know your law. Just believe. Just believe. In my opinion, and this part is my opinion, Paul really had two powerful ministries. Real powerful ministries. He had the ministry of church planning. Let me tell you. This guy could start a church from nothing. And he did. Regularly. And he had, the, of course, the ministry of verbal word. He can preach and he can do all these things. But Paul also had a very powerful ministry in the written word. He can write. And he can put down his theology and ideas and gospel in written form. In fact, when we look at the New Testament, when we go through all those different books that are in there, Paul's writings form about two-thirds of the entire New Testament right now come from him, his writings. In Galatians is one of those writings, it's one of those books. See, I imagine it like this. That Paul was sitting down one day and he wanted to check on his church that planted in Galatia. So he sat down, he, got, he heard a little bit of news of what was going on. He heard what was taking place over there. And of course, letters travel a little bit faster than feet in this time. So he writes a letter. He sits down and gets his pen and he goes to town. He starts writing and writing and writing. And once he wrote it, he found someone that was traveling that direction. Here, can you deliver this to Galatia when you're on your way through? Sure thing, Paul. I'll take care of that for you. So he grabs it and he goes, I mean, that individual, that carrier gets there. They go and they hand it most likely to one of the elders of the church. And then the elder would have received this letter and said, who's it from? Oh, it's from Paul. Oh, it's from Paul. Now let's get let's summon all the leaders and the elders of the church Paul's written us a letter and so they most likely would have gathered all of the leaders together and said alright we have a letter from Paul they would have handed it to the leader of that church the pastor or whoever they would have handed and they all would have sat there and then they would have unscrolled it and said let's see what he has to say this time and then here we are and the first thing they would have read in front of this entire crowd would have been the formalities which would have been Paul an apostle sent not from man nor by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then after the formalities were done, the leader of the church would have then started going into the content of the letter. All right, everybody. Here's what Paul has to say. This is what he's writing today. This is the reason why the letter was sent. And then it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Oh, he's coming in hot. Oh man. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than what we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's coming in strong. It, it was a, the formalities didn't last very long in this letter. I should have probably warned you on that. He came in pretty hot. He was, he's addressing something he had heard that was traveled all the way to where he was and he wanted to nip this in the bud immediately the reason what was co- Paul is that he has heard that the church of galatia started preaching law over grace that they were focused more on the law on the process than the grace of Christ it's not sticking to the original gospel that Paul and the rest of the disciples shared with them now when we look back into history When we actually look into church history and we look into the other documents that we have to be context of what's taking place in Galatians, here's what we learn. Here's what we see is taking place. There was a new group called the Judaizers that were moving in and have become a part of the churches in Galatia. And over time, they have moved themselves into leadership positions within the church. And these individuals started as they took on leadership, started to enforce the Old Testament ceremonies and make them requirements for salvation. It was a requirement in this church in order to receive salvation. This is why Paul reminds them that this isn't the gospel that was preached to you. This isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can't skip over the fact when I'm reading through this that Paul, not only once but twice, he eternally condemns the leaders who are changing the gospel. He condemns them. This is serious stuff when we're looking at the gospel, when we're looking into the actual message of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to the message of the gospel, the truth. We can't change it. There is only one gospel. Now, much like the Galatians of that particular time, we are still preaching different Gospels today, aren't we? In fact, I was researching and looking, and right now, there are five known different Gospels in the church today. Right now, five different Gospels. There's the Gospel, the forgiveness-only Gospel, The service-based gospel, the prosperity gospel, the consumer gospel, and the legalistic gospel that are being preached right now in our churches across America and the world. You see, the forgiveness-only gospel, this one, it gets a lot of attention. It's really popular because it's really all about just one thing, love and forgiveness. And it creates a culture of following Christ is optional. It's optional. That all paths lead to salvation. This, uh, that a loving God doesn't condemn his people. This is what they would say and preach. That Christ dies so that we can live as we desire. This is the forgiveness gospel. And then, of course, I like to say that this is a dangerous gospel. It's very dangerous. He did die for us. There is forgiveness. There is love. But to the church, to those who claim on the name of Jesus, I say this to you. But there's also wrath. I say that as well. And then the next gospel here, a service based gospel, creates a culture of toxic charity. That through our service, through our deeds, our sins are forgiven. It's a works over faith gospel that we know that the people are hurting. So through our actions and through our charity and through our work, then we can be saved through the process. This is one that's being preached now. And then, of course, there's the prosperity gospel, which creates a culture of entitlement. This is a gospel that is selfish and materialistic. All the things Christ aren't. He's none of those things. This gospel places value on worldly possessions. And they say it's a sign that Christ loves you the more you have. This, of course, all comes from a man who had nothing while he was here. He had nothing. Why would he put his value on worldly possessions? Here, I love you. Here's everything on this world can offer. This makes no sense. I have to say now, this one makes me the most angry. I just want to put that out there. It's a lie. It's a lie. The worldly stuff is not God's measurement for how well you're doing in His grace. It's not. Now, there's also the consumer gospel. See, this creates a culture of self indulgence and, quite honestly, impatience. This is consumerism. We want a consumer gospel. So, this is kind of more like a membership gospel. I'm going to come in and I'm going to cast my membership to this church or to this particular way or movement. And at any time, I really don't like how things are going, then I'm going to move my membership over to somewhere else where I'm getting a little bit more benefits. It's like a reward program. When you go to Chipotle and you scan your phone. And so this is a consumer-based gospel. is that you're always constantly going in saying, you know what, I'm not getting my membership worth, so I'm going to go and find a place that can is this consumerism, a consumer gospel? And it is very evident, alive, and well, by the way, in the American churches, especially. And so, here, finally, is uh, let, me, let's, let me also say that the consumer gospel, not that I haven't been thinking about this, creates no commitment and no accountability as well. I just want to throw that in there. All right, now, lastly, is the legalistic gospel. And this right here, this creates a culture of exclusiveness and detachment. That's what this does. This gospel is focused much more on the means than the destination. And in fact, I'd say that Christ can even at times get lost or blurred behind tradition, law, and rules. He's there, but he gets blurred and blurred the more and more we hold the process, the tradition higher than the grace. You can get blurred a little bit. I'm going to tell you that none of these gospels point to Christ. None of them do. And there are more out there, I'm sure. None of them point to Christ. And I didn't even bring up or mention the world's gospel. Which, by the way, means you and I are irrelevant. Because the truth in the real gospel is more than a three-second swipe. And so this is what we're battling against, by the way, is this. All the time. There is so much untruth on our devices. How do you separate truth from lie? How do you do it? And what makes this one, and you probably hear all the time, what's your truth? And when we live in a world and gospel of absolute truth oh gosh you see where we're going with this? man this is a lot now, there's a lot of stuff going on content in this world right now but I'll say this that none of those other gospels point to Christ they only point to ourselves all of them do they only point this direction us and a church that preaches any of these gospels that they make these gospels the main foundation of their message of their building of their church of their growth when these things happen they create disciples that are disconnected from the truth and when the truth is preached on the occasion when the truth is preached and brought in from from the heavens itself it causes division fighting debate and at times even separation and this is because They have accepted only a portion of the entire gospel. So when they hear the entire thing, it shakes them. It shakes them. What do you mean? We haven't heard that before. We haven't focused on that. We haven't heard any of this stuff before. And I'm here to tell you today that there is only one gospel. One message. A kingdom message. Message. Kingdom gospel. It's a gospel that only points to Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's it. This gospel, this kingdom gospel, doesn't ask what do I get or what's in it for me, but it always leads every time to sacrificial giving so that others may find Christ. Those who adhere to this gospel, those that adhere to this gospel are willing, and let me tell you, they are willing to make fools of themselves for the sake of the message, for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the gospel. Less of me and more of him. More of him. This gospel creates a culture of kingdom activists who aren't consuming, but serving. Serving. This type of gospel preaches both heaven and hell, righteousness and sin, forgiveness and sanctification. And this gospel, friends, this gospel is working for the blessing from above, not for the world's, not for their blessing, from his only. So this church Our church, this is a place where only the kingdom gospel will be preached. That's it. Now, as your captain, I'm responsible for that. And I want to put myself and call myself to the carpet and say, I know. I know I'm responsible for that. I try my best, actually, to discern the written word and to preach only the truth, no matter what. I pray regularly for God to give me the ability to deliver his truth to receptive hearts, no matter the content. And I pray, and I do pray, for boldness to preach, to preach the truth, and not water it down in any way. While at some time, somehow, still fulfilling my role as a shepherd. This is no easy task. And I stand before you vulnerable this morning. Because us pastors sometimes choose the easy road because of it. And I can't begin to share enough the truth behind that my wife and I love you so much. We love you all with our heart. I want each of you to know Jesus Christ as your savior. I wanna tell you that my wife and I will most certainly disappoint you. There will be times when we will miss something There'll be a time where maybe we didn't show up. There will be times where we fall short. But do not let our failures reflect that on Christ. He will never disappoints. He will never miss. He will always show up and he will never fall short. The greatest pleasure I have is to serve as your pastor. It's one I take quite seriously and as I was reviewing and writing the first chapter of Galatians, I realized that that was a lot about me and my role in the church, the one responsible for leading the vision and the clarity of the church. Which gospel are we preaching? So I stand at the beginning of this sermon series saying only kingdom gospel. That's it. If you ever hear me say anything else, you better correct me. Because it's only him. Only him. That's it. I can't save you. I know the guy that can, though. I know the guy that can. When you're hurting physically or spiritually, my wife and I want to be there. We want to be next to you. I don't know if I can actually solve the problem. I don't know if I can bring something that will make it go away. I can't promise you that, but I'll be there. We can go pick up your groceries, we can do it, I don't know, whatever. But we'll be there. And sometimes if the news isn't exciting, we wanna be there too. So this morning, I'm asking for your prayer. Prayer that God reveals his truth. And that I speak it boldly. And that he gives me the vision and the wisdom to lead this church. And I usually, in fact, I'm quite uncomfortable at the moment. Don't like taking time in the message to talk about myself. I always just try to make sure we're talking about anything else. (laughs) Anything else, the gospel, the message and Jesus. But I realized that I play a very major part in this message. So I close today asking your prayer, asking for your support, asking for my, bring my wife into, I mean, just, we want to serve him supremely. That's what we want to do you want to do it next to you you want to do it as your comrade and friends in Christ so I leave today with the same thing that Paul said at the end of this first address in the chapter he writes am I trying to win the approval of men or of God or am I trying to please men if I were still trying to please men I would not be a servant of Christ. May these words hold true for all of us. Father, you hear our hearts today and as we dive into this book in Galatians in the first chapter we profess and claim now that you're the only gospel we want to talk about. God, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. We believe that he did die on the cross and that three days later he resurrected from that tomb, he was alive and defeated death, overcame sin. Lord, we believe that if we call on you and we cry out the name of Jesus, that you will come and we can be born again. And we believe in eternity for those who call on your name, an eternity with you. So, Lord, this church will preach that. And I pray, Lord, help me lead, envision, and vision give and give the discernment, Lord, to deliverance. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.